0: Bible says the message of the cross is foolishness, 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 foolishness Foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Guys, welcome to the Foolishness Podcast. This is Brian Sumner, your host. Hope life is going well, and by that I mean that whatever you're facing, you are trusting in the Lord. And for today's episode, I'm going to be jumping into a sermon that I recently preached at my home church of Branches. Myself and the other teaching team were going through the Book of Thessalonians, and so we're in First Thessalonians chapter five, and it's Paul's final instruction. And if you've been tuning in for some time now, we want this podcast to be ambiguous. Sometimes it's teaching, sometimes it's testimony, sometimes it's interview, but our goal is that it would encourage, and for some of you, you might just need to get used to sitting under the word. So for what it's worth, I hope that all that I say falls to the floor, but that everything that's of the Lord sticks to your heart and convicts and leads. Thank you for sharing, for reviewing, for subscribing. Our goal is to get these things out as many places as we can. God bless you guys. Amen. If you need a Bible, raise up your hands. We will get you one. Um, it is beautiful out today, nice and sunny and warm. Amen? Amen? Some of you are thinking it was cold, but I was in Canada last week when it was actually freezing cold, snow everywhere. I barely got outside. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. They will give you one. But we're closing out this season. We're entering Thanksgiving. And you guys got your Christmas trees and stuff up yet? Wow, you guys are sold out. This is crazy, November. Before we get there, before we get to Thanksgiving, we've got to close out this series. So if you have your Bibles, go to First Thessalonians chapter 5. And today, this is kind of a tough message. It's tough because it's something that's like, it can seem mundane the most. It can seem like, what are we really doing? How exciting is it? What are we focusing on? But what we're doing today is, the Apostle Paul has written to this church in Thessalonica. He was there just a few weeks earlier, and the fire of God has got a hold of these people. They're sold out. They're loving. There's persecution. They're hearing about it from miles and miles away. But a rowdy mob in town has kicked the apostle Paul out. We don't want this guy here. We're going to kill him if he stays. And so a few weeks ago when I shared out of this book... We pictured Paul out in Riverside or out in wherever, and he's writing to us to encourage us, stay in the faith, stay and be loving. And what he's doing today is he's wrapping up this message. In chapter 4 and 5, they've been so concerned about the Lord's return. These are end times conspiracy guys, my kind of guys, amen? And they're saying, when is the Lord coming back? When is the day of the Lord? And we know through his other teachings, he would have told them things like, To be absent from the body is to be present with who? The Lord. Guys, don't worry about it. If you die, you're going to go be with the Lord. The same, but what if this day is returned? And he's saying, no, listen, guys, the dead in Christ who've already gone on, they're going to rise first. Why are they going to rise first? Because they're six feet deep, amen? They're going to rise first and be caught up with us, and we're going to go to be with the Lord. So you have to get this as we go where we're going today. He's literally saying you have to be secure, you have to trust, you have to know that whatever is going on in Christ, you are good. And then what he does is, we're about to read here, he gives these final instructions. I want to challenge us right from the start because if you don't grasp where we're going today and say this is of most importance, you might be missing what the church is. You might be thinking church is a religion, church is a building, but Paul is writing these final instructions to say to us, branches, where are you going to be in a month? Where are you going to be in a year? This should say to you, man, I love my family. I love the body. I love these people, the dancing and the funny accents. Don't laugh at that. And whoever else walks through the doors. Amen. I love these people. You should be hearing this and saying, God, show me how to have this heart for one another as you grow us in the faith. So if you're there in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5.12, are you ready? Say amen. 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 Now we're awake. He says, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, those who care for you in the Lord, those who admonish you. He says, hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, those who are disruptive, and encourage the disheartened, but help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong. Always strive to do what is good for one another and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. And may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming and return of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful to do it, and he will do it. And he says, verse 25, brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you. Before the Lord, to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. That's even you and I today. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. He's writing this pretty boring, mundane sounding letter. I mean, where are the Nephilim? Where's the end times? We're not going anywhere crazy. But what he's saying is there's conflict, there's chaos within the church. They're all over the place. Christians are being martyred, it's believed. Paul has been kicked out. And he's writing to them to try and establish some foundation. We don't know if the believers are being reckless and people are offended and they're getting other people offended and they're mad at the leadership. We don't know if the leadership is hoarding it over people, if there's drama, if they're saying officers be represented. But I'll say this to you from the start is that when you become a believer and you get planted in the house of God, things are going to get messy. Amen. I go around the world sitting with pastors and ministries, and I go at any time, to any one of my good friends, what kind of fires are going on in your church today? And they would laugh and then could probably unload a bunch of things. This isn't a Christian church problem. You know what it is? It's a human problem. We're all fallen. We're all still being sanctified, growing into the image of Christ. And I say that because we see it in Moses' day. We see it in Peter and Paul's day. We see it with John Mark, and the idea is, well, I'm going to go find a perfect church. Well, guys, when we find it, we won't be allowed to join it. Why? Because it's perfect. Amen? The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short. The Bible says none are good. I say this because at 40 years of age, I'm seeing many of my young friends, 20 to 35, fired up for God, discouraged, and they're suddenly not in church for three weeks, three months, six months. Something happened. There was an offense. There was a challenge. There was something going on. And while I can have the deepest, most rooted faith and love my favorite teachers and quote the Bible and the rest, God calls us to not forsake gathering together. Amen? Paul's writing because I need to see this dance today. I need to hear you say something. I need to hear Pastor Andrew on and the team. I need to get to share with you because we're to gather together. Why? To stir up love. If we don't do this, people get wiped out. Affairs cruise in. Things from the past come in. And Paul's writing to say, Guys, I'm urging you not to do this. I love when the church first was getting together and Pastor Andrew and the team were like, Well, what kind of community are we? What kind of worship? What kind of teaching? You see, if you come to church and you like two of the worship songs but not the other two, who are you really worshiping? Him or you? If you say it's only expository, it's never topical who we focused on. I like that idea. Why? Because it humbles us. Where I say, well, whose gifting's here? Whose talent's here? Who's here to be used for the kingdom of God? And this is what Paul's saying. And look at what he says in verse 12. He says, we urge you, brothers and sisters, acknowledge the overseers, those who are leading you. And guys, what does urge mean? It means that something is what? Urgent. I'm urging you right now, consider those who work hard over you, those who care for you, those who admonish you. And this is probably one of your pastor's favorite verses, amen? amen. Acknowledge your leadership, acknowledge the team. Hey, it's all about them. But think about it. As Christians, when you came to faith, you already have a target on your back. You have your flesh, the whale, and Satan. Then you get into ministry. I mean, when you come in here today, who's going to be the most George person in the whole church? me. I'm the pastor preaching today. I'm not even in here as much as some of these guys. Amen? But then you go into the youth and you go into the children. You go everywhere and you're saying, well, how's this? Is it better than this? We've got all these qualifications and I'm not here to beat us up. But this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, guys, God has put leaders around you. How do you view them? How do you consider them? It's estimated that one in 20 pastors will only fulfill their call from the day they're called until retirement. 1,200 pastors will leave the ministry every week. What if that was me next week and then Pastor Andrew, Pastor Brock, and the rest? And sure, it wouldn't happen in the whole church. But when you consider the body of Christ, that's what's happening. It's strenuous for the man of God, strenuous for the wife, strenuous for the family. I know we can get on each other's nerves, but what Paul's saying is, guys, consider these people. We have conversations offline about friends of ours who are depressed and sadly even people that have taken their lives. You wrestle in your business. You wrestle in your marriage. It's no different in ministry. Paul's saying, consider them. But he's also saying, and what I would say is, I've also seen the abuse of this. I've seen pastors say, well, I'm the man of God. You have to call the pastor, pastor, or you get a funny look. You better call the deacon, deacon, and the pastor's wife, the first lady, amen, and his cat, the pastor's cat. Because for some reason, if the anointing doesn't flow down, it's not good. And what that is, is it becomes then control control. You say, well, Brian, what do you mean when you're saying this? Well, Paul is not saying such heresy. What he's saying is, guys, just consider the flow of the church. God has put men and women there to help oversee, to speak, to teach, to do what they're going to do. And you're planted in the house of God, and I want you to continue this. But don't hold that over people. There's a reason why Peter writes to us and says of pastors and leaders that we are not to lord it over people who are assigned to our care. But what? We are to lead them as a good example. He's saying, guys, don't despise your leaders. Don't flatter your leaders, but simply respect them. Because his idea is if we don't start with this, how is the church going to be structured? And let's be honest, we live in a physical world. We see a man, we see a woman, we see a move of God, and we begin to worship it. We begin to pursue it. Even Kanye West right now, many of you had those questions all about Kanye, right? What's the biggest danger for Kanye? Is that people are going to worship the man. What if he walked away from his faith? Where would that put someone? If Kanye is really about the Lord, its focus is going to be on who? Jesus, not on Kanye, but that's all of us. I wrestle with the flesh every day. What Paul's saying is we want to lift up God and honor those around us. Because listen to what James says in 2.9. He said that we shouldn't elevate man. We shouldn't elevate leadership. We shouldn't elevate ourselves. He says, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your what? Neighbor as yourself. Love everyone the same. Love you, whoever you are. Love me. Love us all the same. And he says, you're doing this right. But if you show favoritism, partiality, you sin and are convicted by the law. You're to love everyone the same, not picking and choosing, excluding others. You're to say, come into the house of God, Paul. It's falling apart right now, and let's just see the authority. You've got some leaders. We're to love one another. Paul, what is the goal of this? I love that it says this, why? Because one of my my favorite preachers, Leonard Ravenhill, probably been dead 20 or so years. He said that in today's culture, what I see happening is men being more focused on a man's charisma than a man's character. I see it more about a man's charisma than a man's character. And he said, I wish I could have seen the apostle Paul preach. He said, I doubt many people would want to see Paul preach. He was probably this high. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was shipwrecked. He probably smelt funny, had missing teeth. They were probably yellow. He was a genius, the mind, the spirit of God was on him, but he probably walked with a hobble. Many believed he was even killed and God raised him from the dead. It doesn't matter if he did. But his point is, do you think that guy would be the guy at a conference? That guy would be the guy that would be creating a big church. Yet he was anointed by God and wrote 13 of possibly 14 epistles. Even of the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 10.10, it says some say his letters are weighty and forced. But this guy, this Paul guy, in person he's unimpressive and he speaks nothing that amounts to anything. What is that saying about culture and the world, Paul's establishing? And, and think about John the Baptist. I mean, John the Baptist was a smelly guy who lived in the bushes and li- li- lived there, loved eating locust burgers and all the rest. But I love what Leonard says about John. He says, John never raised the dead, but he raised the dead nation. Do you know, John spent 20 years alone with the Lord. And his ministry lasted six months, and at the end of it, his head was cut off. And Leonard would tell a young man like me or you, he'd say, well, you're willing to spend six months with the Lord for a ministry that lasts 20 years. When I read that, I think we shouldn't think more highly of ourselves than we ought. I'm thankful there's elders, there's pastors. Okay, Lord, Paul, we got your goal. What's your point here? He's saying that you should hold leaders in high regard. Why? Why should I do this? Let's have some pushback. And I love what it says. Look at this in verse 13. Because of their what? Work. That's it. Not because of the charisma, because the sermon is funny, because they're relevant, because of their influence. That's the new one. This guy's an influencer. I want the word of God and the spirit of God. I don't need influence. I don't need a man's influence. Because of their work. Hebrews 13, 7. Have confidence in your leaders, submit to their authority. But look at this because they keep watch over you as they must one day give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden. None of it would be a benefit to you. I go away so many places, but when I come in and get just stroll in the back and hear the worship and see people I love and love me, it's an encouragement. I'm not coming up here like, oh, man, this person hates me and's mad at me and whatever. I'm here like, this is amazing. We're family. We can nod our heads and be excited to go into a crazy world that does actually hate us. Amen. In case you didn't know, we're living here as aliens. This is no longer a home. Jesus said his kingdom is not what? Of this world. He says there's three things to do with these leaders. They work hard. They care for you. And the third one's going to challenge you. They admonish you. That means they warn you. They stop you. They might even step on your toes and they say don't do this. Don't go here with that person. Don't hang out with them. Don't get into this because if you do, your marriage might fall apart. Do you want these kind of leaders? I sit with people sometimes have to say things that I would want someone saying to me. But can I stand in that place? Remember I said this was a kind of sermon that would either become mundane or you'd say, man, where are we going to be as a church in a year? Where are we going to be in 10 years? Paul, what are you writing to us about? And what does he say? He's telling us that we need to be able to hold each other accountable because an old English saying, you might not have heard. If the fish stinks, it starts with the what? The head. He needs to establish the leaders. Are they going to be bold, stand on the promises, stand on the truth, hold you accountable? And he says, hold them in regard, live with peace with one another. And you say, Brian, is this all about leadership? Well, no, as a matter of fact, it's all about you. Are you ready? Probably wish you didn't say that now. It says, and we urge you, branches, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Warn those who hang out and have a million opinions but aren't engaged. Warn those who are the coaches or the chefs but never do the cooking or play the game. And Paul's saying this in love. Brian, you can give all the advice, but rather than just say it and point the way, why don't you just lead the way? He's telling them, guys, watch out for those. And this word idle, you know what it is? It's a reference to a military word. You see, when we came to faith, the Bible says we were blood bought with the perfect blood of who? Jesus. The Bible says it's no longer I who lives but who? Christ in me, the oldest past all has become brand new. So when Jesus died on that cross and saw my salvation and Sir so yours, the day he purchased you, your life is no longer your own. We must lose it to find it, amen? And so now we're in this army. And we come into the barracks and we're getting fueled today and we're being encouraged today. And as we go out and Paul's saying, guys, you've got your leadership, but don't be idle. Don't live in such a way where you're just hanging out and you're checking the Christian box saying, I like this preaching. I like this style of worship. I'm this kind of denomination.' That's a kind of Christianity that's huge in the West. But the book of Acts Christianity is that we're in one accord and we're a family of God." And we're here to get fed today, and this is only a percentage of your week. Really, Christianity begins when you leave these doors. He says, warn those, warn those who are not on the mission, because clearly there was there there today where there was deceit. Leonard Ravenhill again, are you ready? He said, God didn't start Methodism. He put a fire in John Wesley. He didn't start the Salvation Army. He put a fire in William Booth. He didn't invade Burma. He put a fire in Adoniram Judson. The same fire in any one of us is the same fire that was in Billy Graham and the Apostle Paul and whoever. And he's saying, if we're sitting in these seats and we're idle and not living into it, we're not going to see this fruit. And these men were moved by the Spirit of God. And here's why Paul's saying this. He's saying, here's your leadership. I want you to challenge those who are just wasting their time. They're just hanging out. They're back and forth. They say many Christians, sadly, today by 2020, they will leave church to church to church every six months to two years. So, so much of the church population is not new believers. It's people just cooking out and going and getting what's popular right now and traveling around. And he's saying, no, guys, those who are idle, challenge them. Why? And here's where we come into this. You need your leaders. You need to challenge those who are idle so that what? And listen to what he says here, verse 14. So that you can actually do the work of the ministry. You can actually what? Encourage those who are disheartened. Those who come here today and don't feel like being here. Those who are hurt, who are wounded, even offended. Someone's passing away. Your boss is driving you crazy. Your marriage upside down. Not focus on those who are idle, but those who are disheartened. Those who feel weak. Those you need to be patient with. You see, fear and doubt is a big part of our life. Amen. Amen. I know that Jesus lived, died, and resurrected, but for me, that can be a battle. This should be an encouragement to you when your marriage is falling apart, when you're doubting, when you're wrestling. Paul says, guys, I want your leaders to encourage those people, those who are weak in their faith. Guys, if you are going through the valley, you know what? Keep going. If you're wrestling with God, keep wrestling because you are in great company. There's a reason Galatians says, what? That we're not to grow weary while doing what? Good. That I means stop doing the bad you might be doing. Someone needs to hear that. Say amen to yourself. Don't look around. Amen. But continue in the things of God. I say this because this is about spiritual maturity. Many of you know my kids. I mean, my son Dakota's here, my daughter Eden, second service, and then Jude. And Jude's very dependent upon his mom. I'm the one who travels every so often. He's always with here. And so a few weeks ago, I went to San Diego and skated with one of my skater friends. And Jude's excited. It's a big day. He's going with Dad all day. And I'm preaching in a church that night. And so it sounds good. The second we get to the skate park, what do you think Jude does? Tries to 180 up a ledge. No, you know what that is? I know. This is tongues. Scrapes his leg. Rips his leg open this big, this big like the size of one of those dollar things, comes running up in shock and says, I don't need stitches, right? I don't need stitches, right? I can see his bone. He is freaking out. And I'm freaking out thinking his mom is going to lose her mind. (laughs) This is one of the first times they've ever been apart. This is crazy. Do I need stitches? Do I need stitches? And I call my buddy who's a pro skater and says, tell me he doesn't need stitches. And he's like, I think he needs stitches. (laughs) And so then he pulls down his leg and he shows me and trips to bits. And I'm like, I think he needs stitches. And I literally sat with you and I said, bud, It's 3 o'clock. Your mom will not make it on time. And I told my wife, I am not driving two hours in traffic so that this can get worse. There's a hospital right there. And I had to make the the head of the body and my family as far as that decision. I went to the hospital. 40 minutes later, my wife arrived. How did you get here so quick? And laughing and laughing. And we don't have a fast pass. You can fill in the rest. So then she had grace, I had grace. But what I'm saying is, Jude had to realize that just because you're not with mom... This feeling of codependency, it is still going to be good. And that builds security. And it builds security for my wife. Even my daughter going to Canada with me this weekend. for She's only 12, but to go away, it was building that. And what Paul is saying is as you are in the church, those of you who are going through it, you're going to have to spiritually mature. When he says those who are weak, he's not talking about strength. If that was the case, he could just... Get you a gym membership. He's talking about weak, wrestling with all kinds of sins. Sexual sin, abuse issues, gossip, and the rest. That famous saying, people say, I pray in tongues. But they say, yeah, but you keep gossiping in English. The idea is, so I'll hit some of you later on. But the idea is what? Is that we see this. And what he's literally saying is, guys, God has planted Rock Harbor. In fact, mariners and Rock Harbor and here we are as branches. And God has given elders and pastors and these guys are navigating through and we're all navigating through and you're navigating with us. And now that we're there, let's not be idle, be intentional. And now that we're being intentional, let's focus on loving on people, helping people. Why? Because all kinds of churches experience this. And what ends up happening is what's very popular in culture You just say, well, that person is toxic, that person is negative, I'll never answer their call, I'll never hang out with them, I'm disassociating, I'm done with this. And what God is actually saying here, you have to get it through Paul, he's actually telling the leaders, no, you need to be patient with these people. Those people who are disruptive, who are difficult, who are demanding, he says to them, be patient and not what? Sure-tempered We're a short-tempered generation. I want to fix it all right then. And in verse 15, you guys follow me today? You seem pretty awake. Maybe it is that cold. He says, make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong. It's obvious. Strive to do what is good. Why? Because that's how we'll be known by others. By your love for one another, you'll be known as my disciples. And as I was sitting in this verse, I just pictured this will never happen. But imagine if Jesus was the pastor in the physical of this house. Imagine if we have Pastor Andrew and the team and the crew and they walk around, you're like hanging out. But imagine if Jesus walked these aisles and if Jesus grabbed the microphone and if Jesus was telling corny jokes like me and if Jesus said, don't pay back wrong for wrong, if Jesus said, strive for what's best, how many of you guys would feel like you could do it? Just me? I feel like if Jesus i would be like, we got this, but what we do in the church is we say, ah, this is just a message. This is just a community. no. It's not up to me to make the community, for leadership to make the community. They can only direct it. Do you know who makes the community? You. You are the community. You come in here smiling, engaged, encouraged. You come in here tore it apart. You come in here wherever you need to be. You and I are who make the community, and we're saying, okay, then. We're in. We've got the leadership. We've got the encouragement. The leaders are going to be there for us. Paul, how should we live? If you want to know the will of God, there's three things he gives us right here. Simply three things. He says, verse 16, rejoice always. Verse 17, pray. And verse eight, uh, 19, give thanks. He's just told the church that no matter what happens, he'll never leave you or forsake you. That even if you die, you're going to be with the Lord. And when he returns, you're going to be with him anyway. But what he's saying is what we need to be able to do is to rejoice. Let me ask you guys, can you, can you really rejoice in only the Lord? live in California. Our house is generally the color we want. So is the car. So is the coffee. So is life. I mean, you go this way, you're talking about millions and millions and millions of homes. You go this way, it's in another place. But can I really rejoice only with the Lord? The deeper I got in my faith, I began to turn off the radio, even turn off sermons and just drive and I would picture Jesus walking on the shores of Galilee. I wouldn't picture his face. I don't want the white, you know, Hollywood Jesus that they've just been branded into my mind. But I would see Jesus and I would picture him picking up the cross. I would picture his blood. I would picture the steps. Can you really rejoice only because of what he did? Or is it because of what he's doing for us as well? He says to the church, because they were about to be slain possibly, many of them were, you need to rejoice. And then what does he say? He says we need to pray. Praying continually doesn't mean quit your job, get away from people, you know, don't feed your kids, get on your knees and pray. What it means is live intentionally. Don't be idle. Pray for the community. Pray for your job. Pray for your kids. Pray for yourself. Live this life of prayerfully considering it. And then he says, give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God. Rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks. Can I really give thanks the Bible says that godly contentment is great gain. And if we're honest, I don't think we're content a lot of the time. We need the wave to be how we wanted it. We need to make sure we get that submission in jiu-jitsu. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about, amen. We need to make sure the food tastes the way we want it. I've been in church to the most godly men. They go out and the food sucks and they're pretty much the devil to the waitress. I'm like, I need to get out of here right now. And I'm not talking about people in this church, hallelujah. But I'm saying this to say, he's telling us to rejoice, to pray, and to give thanks. And this is the idea because if we don't give thanks, listen, it has an effect. We give thanks for so many things. The World Series, sports, shape of our bodies, what's in our bank accounts. But it's amazing in Romans 1 and 21, you know what it says? It says, do not quench the spirit. Actually, no, it says, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. So they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. He's speaking of Israel at the time. But they didn't consider God. They didn't be thankful for God. Man, what is God doing with young lives? What is God doing with the vicious? What is God doing with people around this community? What is God doing with me? Stare yourself up, get encouraged, get fired up. He's saying this, and then he changes gears. It's going to get crazy for some of you. Verse 19, he says, Do not quench who? The Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit of God. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. You can quench the Spirit. You don't quench God in that sense, or Jesus. God is overlooking. Jesus lived, died, resurrected. He's in heaven. But who's with every believer today? The Spirit. And the same way I can go into my kid's room in the morning and pull back the bed and say, let's go skate, Jude, or let's go do this, Eden. And they can pull the blanket over and say, Dad, I want to spend time with you. That's how we can be with the Holy Spirit. People often say, I feel so neglected. No, the most neglected person in the church is the Holy Spirit. The Bible says we can grieve him. He says we can be filled with him. He says we're to be led by him. I'm not talking about manifestations. He has a will for branches that might be different than the church that Tim Keller serving in New York. He has a will for branches that might be different than the church I was at in Canada. Where is he leading you? How do you quench him? This term quench, it implies putting out a fire. When the Holy Spirit shows up, it was cloven tongues of fire. Coincidence? John baptized with water, but another was coming after me that will baptize with what? The Holy Spirit and fire. How do you press into the spirit of God? I have the word but it's like the picture of the Old Testament the anointing that they would rub on their arms, rub on their heads. You want to get in the word? You know what? Get close to it. You want to get to the spirit? Press into him daily. Lord show me how to be a better mom. Show me how to be more loving. Speak to me. But notice what he says. Don't quench the spirit and the next thing he says is what? Consider prophecies and wage war. Test them all. Some of you get freaked out by the idea of prophets, amen, and rightfully so. America's getting crazy. But what is a prophet? There's an Old Testament, New Testament prophet, and we don't have those today. If there was the same kind of prophet, if I speak that prophecy, it must be recorded, and it must become scripture, because they were giving the words of God to the nations. It's the canon. This is all the prophecy going to be fulfilled. This is all we need, amen? But outside of that, there is prophecy, There's words of wisdom, there are words of knowledge. Pastor Andrew became the pastor of the church because Todd Proctor woke up one day and said, you're the pastor. Todd didn't know that. He felt called to that. My son Dakota, sitting in the back, I've had four people different times in 10 years, speak very specific things for his life. This is what your son is called to do, and he's called to wage war for it. If I'm really an evangelist, I'm going to go to war for this prophecy. If you're going to be in dance and you feel called to it, go to war. Well, Bible, what do you mean? And I'm not for everyone trying to prophesy. Don't try and prophesy someone to go to Africa and you ruin their life because you're trying to be Pentecostal so-and-so. Amen? I'm serious. People are getting goofy. Apparently, everyone in America is built like this and we've got to get our legs set up right. They're down at the pier with these psychic readings. Guys, I'm not about it at all. And it's scary and it's dangerous and we want the experience and it's not found in the way to God like that. Here's what the Bible says. He says this to us in Acts eleven twenty-seven. He says, during this time, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. If they were prophets, what did they do? So where's the prophecy? If it's only ever the word of God, I don't know what these prophecies were. The Bible says of Philip, he had four daughters and they all prophesied. If they were prophets, what did they do? Prophesy, So where's the Prophecy. If it's only ever the word of God never passes away, apparently it has passed away and we don't know where it is. Not one jot or tittle. And he even says this to Timothy 1.18. Timothy, my son, I give you this command in keeping with the prophecies made about you. So that by them you recall and you fight the battle well. You're meant to wage war for the gift and the talent and treasure in you as you live that call out. 1 Timothy 4.14. Do not neglect the gift given through prophecy by the laying on of the hands of the elders. Paul says when prophecy comes, what we should do is test them. And I'll tell you, the very first evidence that a prophecy is from God normally fails in many people's eyes. Why? Because the first prophecy test is it must line up with what? Word of God. You have a prophecy, it has to be found in the Word of God. It has to be specific. Why do we know this? Because the Bible says of the Bereans that they examine the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. I have a word for so-and-so. Well, let's receive it and let's hear it and let's say. You might be called to a nation. You might be called to start a business. You might be called to this. That isn't written in the word, but is it to encourage and lift up. Second thing prophecy always does is it presents Jesus as divine and also human. He must always be the Jesus of the Bible. First John 4, 2. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not is not from God. The false cults and all the religions. Third thing, prophecy will always speak life. It might convict at times, but it says in 1 Corinthians 14.3, The one who prophesies speaks for the people and that their strength will be encouraged and bring comfort. And then Paul goes on. What have we seen so far? We'll wrap up in just a few moments. He says this. You have your leaders, and you want to lift them up, pray for them, believe with them, stand with them, love them. But also, they're not to hoard it over you. And what you're supposed to do, church, is hold accountable those who aren't really part of the body and maybe don't even care. And he says, but what I want you to do is to live this way, praying, rejoicing, being intentional about so many things. And he says, when prophecies come concerning the direction Honor them, test them, and see where they are. And what does he say in verse 23? And this is an encouragement. He says, May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you. And that means lead you, direct you, and shape you. You can't do this. Let me free you. Stop trying to be perfect and just start following the Lord. Amen. It isn't about how everything looks on the outside. Seek first the kingdom. Only God can do this. And what does he say? He says, with the spirit, with the soul, and the body. And notice the order he lists them. He says, God's doing a work in you with the spirit, the soul, and the body. Do you know in culture, it's reversed? It starts with the body, then the soul, and maybe the spirit. As Pastor Andrew said a few weeks ago, only eight minutes a day is given to our spiritual walk. It starts with our body on the outside, the tent, the guys, it does not matter. It starts with the soul where all my emotions are. What did you say? Why are you treat me this way? How do I fit in? That's not how I operate. And lastly, it's the spirit. <laughs> I'm sick, by the way. Excuse me. The idea is this, is that we should start in the spirit and wage war. Second, it should go through the soul and we say, well, that's not the person I want to be. I don't want to act this way, think this way. And finally, it should be what? The body, which is where you fall into sin. It's where you say the things you wish you never did. You get a hold of the person you never should have, the rest. And he says all this, and he says, I pray all this, that God sanctifies you. So you will be blameless at his coming, at the return of Jesus. What does that mean? Aren't I blameless because I've been washed in the blood? Well, yes. I'll no longer stand at the judgment seat of God, the great white throne judgment. Oman says there's now no condemnation for you and me if you've trusted. But I am going to stand before the bema seat. And Jesus is going to say, I give you this time and this talent and this treasure, and there's going to be a reward, or there's going to be a burning up. And you say, well, Brian, I'm worried. Don't be worried. Look at verse 24. The one who calls you is faithful, and he's going to do it, meaning God, guys, is the author and finisher of your faith. He who began a good work is faithful to what? Finish it. You're not working out your salvation in that sense. No, you're walking with him. If you're really in him, a good tree will bear good fruit. If you're really in him, you feel conviction. If you're really in him, the Lord is moving. And then look at this. I love what he says in verse 25. He says, brothers and sisters, pray for us and greet all of God's people with a holy kiss. The apostle Paul, who was brilliant as far as his knowledge, his mind, and his understanding of the Old Testament. This man who was an apostle, who was writing, commanding people what to do. What does he want? He wants prayer. He knows that prayer is where the spiritually mature dwell. I am around people who can rip the Bible apart in and out every kind of language. People that might operate in certain gifts. But it's a whole different realm when someone says, I've been praying for you. I've took 10 minutes or 5 minutes or an hour out of my day to pray for you. Because I'm actually trusting that that time is not a waste. I'm trusting in the Lord. Paul says, pray for me. And then what does he say next? And you're all curious. He says, greet everyone with what? A holy kiss. And I can't help this, and I'm sure it's a sin, but I keep just picturing that movie, you know, Nacho Libre, when I say holy kiss. Now he says, like, read some books. Holy kiss. But what is a holy kiss? I mean, what does this mean? Well, in that day and age, you would generally bow to people that took care of you or even your master. You would bow their foot or their knee or their hand, but you would never get to kiss someone on the cheek and even in some cultures, the face. And what Paul's saying is, kiss them all for me, guys. I love you. I'm back in England, guys. I love branches. Let them know. But he's also saying, kiss them and embrace them for me. Have this kind of love for I mean, some of you brought that person that you want to be your spouse and you're like, Pastor, can we just, just practice this right now? No, it is not going down. Amen. Don't look around. But what he's saying is this kind of love, this holy kiss, this is how they wear as family. This is what is different. And I love what he says, verse 27. This is the craziest verse to me. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters so many places i could have wanted to go we could have put so much funny stuff in at a great morning we leave refreshed and we're at chipotle or del taco wherever sorry for putting that in your mind like oh that was just an awesome sermon but no paula said you need to hear this you need to hear about leadership their role being patient with you your role in not being idle our role in living intentionally That prophecies are today. I mean, the Bible says pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, especially what? Prophecy. Corinthians 14 and 3. What he's saying here, though, is I'm charging you under oath. This letter I have written to you in Thessalonica, it must be read to all. You see, he started today, and what did he say? He said there's division, and we don't know why. There's some people that would have said, I don't even want to hear Paul. I'm not going to church that day. And there's others who said, let's read it quick before they show up. And Paul's saying, no, you all need to hear it. And you know why it's amazing? Because what Paul's actually saying is that this is divinely inspired. For him to dare say, you should be reading this in the synagogue, in where they gathered, he's saying this is on level with the Old Testament. And this even for centuries should have been why the church wasn't able to retain the scriptures, have them in languages no one was understanding and controlling the flock. And how does he end? Classic Paul. In verse 28, he says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This isn't a message about sin. This isn't a message about what's next. This is a message about family. Thanksgiving is coming up. Christmas is coming up. And where does this sit for you? If the Lord's in you, I don't doubt there were certain things that you said, Man, maybe I need to be more living, maybe more kind, more forgiving. Maybe I need to be more involved, more engaged. When praying through this, here's how I want to close today. As the band comes up for a moment, I want us just to take time as the body. We don't want to despise prophecies. We want to wage war. We want to be available. But as we begin to worship, there's just two kinds of prayer. I want you to pray for yourself, the church, the community. Pray for branches. Give the leaders and the elders, give yourself vision. Many of the amazing ministries we see came from people like you who just said, the Lord's telling me this, why not? Why not just do what the Lord has said? Don't despise prophecies. Pray for anywhere you feel to go. Also, if you need prayer, there will be people at the crosses. If you are going through hell, got a bad diagnosis, need someone to lay hands on you, stand with you, weep with you, these will be open. Please start making use of them. Go and have communion. But I just want to get out the way and say, you know, let's be the body. Let's not be bystanders where the funny-sounding English guy speaks or Pastor Brian with the cool name plays worship or whatever it may be, amen? Let's just sit and pray. If you feel that to go to the cross, go. But if not, let's just intercede for a moment, and I'll start, amen? guys i hope that was encouraging um, there's nothing like the word of god unpacking the word of god and i know when i fill a pulpit i don't want to get away from the word of god there's many testimonies there's many stories there's many things god does in our lives but it's ultimately the word of god that is always speaking so i encourage you jump into second thessalonians or jump into wherever in your bible for more on me go to brian even consider becoming a monthly partner I do full-time ministry without a salary. I raise full-time support based on 1 Corinthians 9.14. And we've been getting the gospel out as in traveling, going, doing missions, marriages, ministry, about 150 to 200 times a year. As the year wraps off, we're raising support for the next part of the year. All giving is tax writable. It's through a nonprofit, bryansummer.net slash support. Hit me up online. Send me some messages, even concerns. Um, Lifting up the Lord in his name. And remember, the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved. It's the power of God. This has been brought to you by the One Story Podcast.